Tonight, much of what we're going to talk about will seem, to those who were here last Saturday, like review, like a repeat. But I feel that it's something we can reinforce. The importance of what John focuses on in his gospel. And so, if a lot of it seems repetitive, uh, take it like a song you like that you might listen to a second time to really, you know, understand it even more. Because I believe God wants to do something with us in these last four months of the year. And I want an upgrade. I, I want to get closer to him. I want to move more in line with the Holy Spirit. I want to see him do, I want to see him bear fruit in my life. And he promised, he said, that's what he's appointed us to do, is to bear fruit. How many want it? Amen? I want it. I believe his word. He said in John 16, uh, sorry, John 15, 16, he said, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit will remain. Well, I'll take that promise. I want it. Uh, Jesus gave sight to a man born blind by spitting in the dirt, says he uh, spat in the ground, and then he made clay with it and he applied the clay to the guy's eyes and then he instructed him he he instructed a blind guy he said go to the pool of Siloam I don't quite know how that worked but obviously the guy knew where it was because he went he washed the clay off and he came back seeing just as Jesus said he would he he did as instructed and he received his sight and that was the seventh of eight signs that John records in his gospel. He, he selected eight signs. What does a sign do? It directs you to something. It points you to something. It's like you don't say, okay, kids, we're going to Disneyland, and you drive until you see a sign for Disneyland, and then you say, there it is. There's the sign. We go back. No. You, you go to the place, right? You, you go there. It's just a sign that points to something. And here is John. He includes, and at the end of his gospel, he says, these are the, there were many, many more. These are just the eight he selected to point to who Jesus is. And we'll, we'll come back to that at the end of this. He chose eight signs. This was number seven, this blind man. And it caused such a stir among the religious elites uh, who opposed Jesus already that he, it says in the end of chapter 10 of John, he had to elude their grasp and he went beyond the Jordan to where John was first baptizing. He went to another region and we're going to pick up the story there. So if you would, let's read. Uh, we'll start right there in John chapter 10 verse 40. And go all the way to chapter 11, verse 45, but I'm going to skip sections. I'm just going to stick to a few of them that point to something we want tonight. Now, um, uh, there they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. Verse 40, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. And many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Many believed in him. Okay? Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. That's the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
And it was the same Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters, therefore, sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death. This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Listen, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, just in case there was any doubt when he does what he does next. Therefore, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, they were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Okay. He has a little discussion with them. And then he comes in verse 14. He says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go. Okay, that's curious. I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Thomas said to him, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, now, I can't help but hear, how many have ever heard of Winnie the Pooh? And there's that donkey in there called Eeyore. I can't help but hear Eeyore right here. Let us all go that we may die with them. That's, that's what it's like. Let's go, we'll die with them. You know, in, in Jesus' faith ministry. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come from Jerusalem to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's right. Probably not. I think that's why he said to the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Why? Because he would have probably just healed him when he was sick. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if they die. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this? She said to him, this is important, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God. After Jesus healed that blind guy in two chapters earlier, one of the things they said to him at a certain point was they said, Stop keeping us in suspense. Tell us, are you the Christ or not? And Jesus said to them, I've already told you and you don't believe he told them in certain ways, and then he brings up these works. They, the works that I've done are what? They're signs, again, pointing to who I am. And these guys wouldn't look at those signs. We don't like where they're pointing. They're saying that that's the Christ, but we don't like how this guy operates, and we're jealous of him, and he heals people on the Sabbath. How dare he? So we don't want to believe where the signs are pointing. They wouldn't do it. And then they, it says they picked up stones to stone Jesus. And he says, I've done a lot of good works here among you. For which one of them are you going to stone me? 
We're not stoning you for that, but we're stoning you because you've made yourself equal with God. You've said, in effect, they're saying, you said you're the son of God. A minute earlier, you're keeping us in suspense. Who are you? Tell us plainly. But they knew. They just didn't want to go where the signs were pointing. Amen? They didn't want it. They didn't like where the signs were pointing. That's still happening today. That signs are pointing to who Jesus is. Signs are pointing to the need we have for him, for the Savior, for the living God. And people don't like where the signs are pointing. And so, nope, I'm not going to believe. And so I'm going to make up things. Don't keep me in suspense. Tell me the truth. Well, if I tell you, you're not going to believe anyway. These kinds of things keep happening. So Martha says this, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world to save the world. Okay? Now I'm going to skip this part. She goes back, says to Mary, the, save, the, the um, teacher is here. He's waiting for you. Mary goes. She arrives, and she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, verse 33, he was, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. He wept. And so the Jews were saying, behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Yes, he could have. But they were looking only superficially, not looking at what God wanted to do here. Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, verse 38, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was laying, lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. You know that. Of course he knows that. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, and this is our verse, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe. And when I read this recently, I thought Martha believed some things, but she wasn't. Does it seem like she was believing for the miracle? No. I know he'll rise in the last day in the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I suspect that still seemed like a tall order. I don't think she heard that and then thought, oh, great, he's going he's gonna to rise from the dead right now. Because if she had believed that, she wouldn't have said, Lord, don't take the stone away from the opening of the tomb. It's going to stink. She wouldn't have said that. It would have been like, yeah, here, I'll help. Let's move that thing. <laughs> Lazarus is coming out. I don't think she thought that. She didn't believe that, but he said, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. If you believe you'll see the glory of God. And so they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me and I knew that you hear me all the time, or sorry, always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You know, in chapter 5, it says there's a time coming. Jesus said there's a time coming when all in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. I think he called Lazarus by name or there would have been a whole bunch of them coming out. <laughs> come forth. No, sorry. Sorry, guys. Go back. 
I, I just wanted Lazarus today. Okay? I think he, it says that in chapter 5, I think it's verse 28. They're going to hear it and they're going to come out. He says, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was, was wrapped with a cloth just like a little over a week from this when Jesus is in the tomb wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Now look at what it says. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done believed in him. He said to Martha, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. But some of them, they saw the glory of God and then they believed. And he knew that would happen. He said that's what would take place, okay? Intense opposition prompted Jesus to distance himself from the temple and from Jerusalem. Again, intensifying opposition. It's getting worse. And then in uh, chapter 9, verse 31, it says they took up stones. They're going to stone him. But many followed him there after that to uh, beyond the river, and many believed in him. Many believed in him. But close to Jerusalem, his friends are in crisis. Mary's and Martha's brother Lazarus dies. He falls sick. They send word to Jesus, and the, uh, which is what we ought to do when we're in crisis. Send word to him. Pray. Call out to him. Lord, take note. The one you love is sick. This is urgent. Now, we know it was urgent because Jesus even said, this sickness isn't going to end in death, which at first would have looked like he was wrong. Just for a short time, would have looked like he was wrong. But he said, this isn't going to end in death, but for the glory of God. So he knew there was something urgent, something serious. They didn't say, behold, uh, Jesus, the, the one you love has a mild cough. No, there's something up enough that Jesus would take it to that place right away. This isn't going to end in death. They knew it was something serious. This sickness won't end in death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, I, again, I know we covered this last week, but it's worth reinforcing. Martha, uh, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but curiously, when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days where he was. He stayed two days, so he purposely, intentionally, let it get so bad that there was, it couldn't just be that, well, maybe that was coincidence that, you know, his health just turned around. No, he left it. He even left it longer than the other two people you see Jesus raise <clears throat> from the dead. One is a young girl. She just died. He rose her. So somebody might say, ah, was she really dead? We don't know. The other one was the widow carrying out, you know, there's a funeral procession. And so he, he died that day. So something was quick. But this is four days. This is like, he's going to stink by now. Something's bad. This is, this is beyond. And he left it on purpose to let it go to the place that there's no other explanation than the powerful moving and display of the glory of God. That's actually a mercy. But when God does it in our lives, how do you like it? I'm... Really, he could do things 
a, a lot sooner. God, why would you make me wait till it's 11.59 and then you intervene? Or in fact, sometimes till, it went, till it's 12.01. You know what I mean? I want God to do, to demonstrate his glory and do miracles when everything's going good. I don't want the tension of this world, this sin-infected, fallen world where there's a constant tension between what is in the natural and what God promises. It doesn't look like what God promises is really sort of foremost and like it's, it's even probable. But God seems to like it like that. Just last night, Charisse mentioned David and Goliath, God sent Goliath out there not to defeat the Israelites, but to reveal his glory when a 16, 17-year-old guy runs out when the rest of the army says, no chance. This dude who, you know, whatever, they say maybe nine feet tall, something like that. I mean, I think I could take him, but... I don't know about, you know, this, this idea that there's this seasoned warrior and here's a shepherd. Oh, he's been playing on his harp. And now he runs out when the rest of them won't go near and he runs at him and says, today I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And he takes a few stones. Even it wasn't lost on Goliath either. He says, what am I, a dog that you're coming with a stick? This big dude, but it revealed the glory of God in this young man whose heart was after God. And God loves that. He did it with Moses at the Red Sea. Uh-oh, a sea, an army, no good choices, all bad. And that's when he chose to do it, right? Moses does it. Does he do that in our lives? Yes, he does. I would like it to be like this. I wake up in the morning, I feel good. Wow, I have no aches from my... my 45 years. I, I feel really good. My feet feel good. I roll out of bed. I'm going for a walk. As I go into the bathroom to brush my teeth, my hair has grown back. I've got hair, praise God. I go on my walk. By the time I get back, my wheat belly is gone, and I look like this. And all of these wonderful things, as I arrive home, Rose opens the front door and has my coffee in her hand and smiles and, <laughs> smiles and says, have you gotten taller? <laughs> and as we're doing that, this is how good this day is, FedEx pulls up and they have an envelope that says, I won the lottery. I didn't even buy a ticket. Well, okay, we don't, we don't want to condone gambling, so we'll be more like Jane Austen. A, a distant uncle in England has said, I've just inherited his big estate. I've got all of this, all of these great things, and all the people I know just got saved, and then I see miracles. No wrong, more like everything's going down the drain, and God's pushed you right to the brink, and there's no way that things can work. I'm desperate. And then what happens? Then God moves. He doesn't seem to just do it when everything's wonderful. Has he done that for anybody? Yeah. <laughs> He's, he pushes you to the, to the limit, and then he comes through. Why? And then you look and you say, no, that had to be God. God did that. It wasn't just that, oh, now that I think about it, maybe it was just my ingenuity. Maybe it was just my talent or something like this that I pulled it off. No, 
He pushed them to the limit. It says he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He cared for them, and they knew it. They even said, he whom you love, our brother, we know you love him. He had eaten dinner there. He had spent time with them. The one, they knew he cared about them. But he did this curious thing of waiting. They were in crisis. They're in pain. They had to suffer for days knowing he died and Jesus didn't make it here. Had he made it here, Lazarus would be alive. Jesus failed. But Jesus said it won't end in death. It was death for a moment, but it wouldn't end in death, but for the glory of God. Death won't have the final word. It will not, even if it looks like it in this world. Now, back up to John chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 3. The encounter between Jesus and the man born blind, just like uh, David and Goliath, just like... Um, Uh, Moses in the Red Sea, just like all of your circumstances. This guy was born blind. He even says when they question him, it's never been heard. It's never been heard of that someone born blind regained their sight. Never been heard of. And the, the disciples who have been influenced by this erroneous prevailing sort of view, they ask Jesus, Whose sin caused this guy to be born blind? His or his parents? Jesus says neither. But it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. That is very much like this. And a lot of translations, I think if you look in New Living Translation and uh, some of the other more modern ones, they say uh, regarding this blind guy, they, they translate it, Jesus says that the power of God might be displayed in this guy's circumstances. Just like with Lazarus. He died, but it won't end in death. That's not where it'll finish off. Nope. There's, there's more. There's something more. The glory of God will be displayed. The power of God will be displayed here. God works in and through crises and pain and tragedies in your life. Now, am I saying we just rejoice in them? Well, there's things like this, this... The, the brother of these two women, they didn't rejoice in it. They weren't rejoicing through that. It was real pain. He's gone. And so when we face some of this, it requires humility, amen, to say, okay, I don't get it. A, a good brother in this church about, uh, I think it's four or five years ago, our dear brother Brad died suddenly. And man, we were praying for him. He was on life support. We're praying every night. People are gathering. I wanted to see him raised up. And we heard, oh, there's in his vitals, there's a little kind of uptick in something. And we're hopeful and we're praying and we're pressing in. And people are fasting and we're, you know, going there to see him and pray over him. And people around the clock are praying for him. And we didn't see the miracle that we wanted. It requires humility because we won't always see it the way we would like. Amen? I wish I always did. I wish every time I did. But it isn't really like that. But Jesus said, this won't end in death, but for the glory of God. And then he said that the Son of God might be glorified by it, which actually, this was the eighth sign, and it's the thing that galvanized the opposition against him. And because of this sign, they determined nothing short of death 
of his death, Jesus' death, is going to satisfy us. He's got to go. And as I said last week, then you read chapter 12 of John, they even said, Lazarus has got to go too because people are believing because of what happened to him. His testimony is causing people to to believe in Jesus. So he's got to go too. So here's this circumstance. Jesus, all through the book of John, uses that terminology. It's the hour for the Son of God to be glorified. Speaking about his cross, death, burial, and resurrection. And he says, this won't end in death, not Lazarus's anyway, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified by it. Ironically, this was the beginning of the end for Jesus' earthly life, except even there. The glory of God revealed in what he did. Amen? I'm so thankful. What he did, he did. But here's here's Martha facing Jesus. And she says, there's going to be a stink. And he says, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. And I believe Martha had a faith in him that went beyond just the miracle. As I said last week, he's not just a miracle worker. He's the one who's going to go to the cross to bear our sins. Now, that didn't sound like victory. Ooh, of course that wouldn't sound like victory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, had the powers of darkness understood what was going to happen in that, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, that's what's going to happen when he dies. That's what takes place. No, they wouldn't have done it. So Martha has this faith in Jesus. She even said it back here in verse 27. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Savior, the one who is to come. Beyond a miracle worker. And I want more miracles. I want God to do it all. I want him to do it all, all the time. But the glory of God in saving souls because he went to the cross. His supernatural power demonstrated again and again and again in your life and mine and in the lives of countless followers of him. Martha had a faith that I think, even though in the moment she couldn't believe for that miracle, she had a faith in who he was. I trust you. I believe in you. If I'm not saying we have to choose because I don't think we do. I don't like it when people say things like we have to choose, you know, between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. God never tells us we have to make that choice. He wants us to have it all. He wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit. We, we must. And he wants us to have the gifts of the Spirit. We must. I want the character of God and I want the power of God. I want it all. I want it all. And I believe that God wants to give those gifts to us, to people. And he wants us to have faith in him that even if we don't get the miracle, like with our brother Brad four years ago, that we're going on. And I got a call from big Brad's younger brother who said to me uh, about two years after Brad died, and he said uh, that the, the wonderful thing that happened in their family, he said, we leaned on Brad as our sort of spiritual strength. His testimony, because he came from such a rough 
background and the foolishness that he was involved in before he got turned around, and it was such a radical transformation. But his younger brother said, in their family, more people have gotten saved since Brad passed away. He said people realized, no, we've got to learn to stand spiritually and be strong in Christ and not just lean on our brother and, you know, when things are tough, well, what would Brad do? It's kind of like, no, we've got to grow up. We, we've got to take a stand. And so God can do it. He's got things. God wants us to have a rock-solid faith in who Jesus is so that when he comes through, we rejoice. When he comes through, I mean in the temporal. And when he doesn't, we rejoice. And we say, no, I'm trusting him. My faith never was in just a sign or just a miracle or just as great as those things are. My faith is in who he is. Jesus the Christ, the Savior. Amen? That's what we want. There's, how many have heard of A.B. Simpson? He's the founder of the Alliance Church. He was a Canadian who had a heart condition. God healed him of his heart condition, and he had a healing ministry. And A.B. Simpson used to show up, and before he would pray for anybody to be healed, they said he would preach, he would hold, you know, sort of crusade type things, and he would preach for days. And he would build faith and build faith and sow the word and get people so jacked in their faith that by the time he said, all right, we're going to pray for healing, it was like, wow, we believe Jesus can do anything. And he but he built a faith in who Christ is. He built him up, built him up, built him up in the word so that when it came time to pray for that, they were believing God can do anything. And I, I like the example of A.B. Simpson. I think it's something worth following. Okay, there are Bible promises for us to lay hold of. None as big as the Savior himself. He's it. Put your faith, like Martha, in him. If you believe, he says to Martha, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. There's something pivotal, pivotal about believing. It's currency in the kingdom of God. Believing. It's, it's currency. She doesn't appear to believe for the demonstration or display regarding her brother, but she believes in him, and he doesn't disappoint her. Martha believed, and she saw the glory of God as Jesus promised, and a whole bunch of other people in close proximity saw it too. They saw the glory of God, even though they may not have shared her love for or belief in Jesus. She believed and saw the glory of God, and that's what Jesus said. Other people, it would appear, saw the glory of God and then believed. However that goes down, I'll take it. They believed in him afterward, and he even prayed that. He said, I know, Father, that you hear me always. But because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that you sent me, that I'm the sent one, that I'm the Messiah that was sent to save. That's why I'm doing this. Father, I prayed it so they would know that and they would believe that. Again, the signs are pointing to who he is, the sent one. And we'll close with this. John chapter 20 this is, this is John saying 
at the end of his book in this little uh, postscript or epilogue, he's saying what the purpose of his gospel is. And he was an old man by the time he wrote this. And he states that Jesus did many other signs that the disciples witnessed. He selected only a few, eight. And then he says, he's written these to the end that you too may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's his whole point in writing. So what Jesus just did with Lazarus, what he did with that blind man, he's now saying to us, he, as he inspired John here, he did a lot of other signs that the disciples witnessed. But I've written these that you may believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the fact we believe. But then it goes beyond that. That you may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that, believing that, you may have life in his name. So there's the sort of the head part of what we believe. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then there's the natural part. If I believe that, I'm surrendering something of myself to that reality that I may have life in his name. That was John's point. Amen? How many want life in his name? Uh, right. We, we don't want to just believe because it's a nice religious thing to do. We're believing because we want life in him. We want to be with him. We want to be cared for and loved by him the way Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were. And we want to love him back. Amen? We want to love him as is natural to do. He loves us. We want to love him back. He wants you to have life in his name. Just, if you're writing notes or you're thinking about something else for a moment, I want you to just pause. Like in the Psalms where it says, Selah. It means stop. Think about it. Just, God wants you to have life in him. It's his choice, his desire for you to have life in him. So have it. Reach for it by believing in him. Even now, I want you to just for one minute, just close your eyes. And if you believe, I want you to just close your eyes and just say, Jesus, I believe in you. Where there's unbelief, help me in it. Help me to believe. Help me to believe in the rich way that Martha did in terms of saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I want to believe that. I want life in your name. Not just knowing who you are, but yielding to you as Savior and Lord. I want it. Even just say, Lord, I need life from you. 
You're the giver of life and I need it. I'd like you to consider the life you have tonight, really. Are, are you out of sync with God because of sin? So that maybe you even want to believe, but you know sin is an impediment, is a barrier between you and the Lord? Living life on your own terms, independent of God? If so, I want you to know this. Jesus died in your place on the cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven and reconciled to God and placed in a life-giving personal relationship with him like the people we just read about where you know him and you know his care for you that's what he wants what do you need to do in response to have that believe in jesus who he is and what he's done and turn away from your sin and your self-ruled life i invite you To yield to him and ask him to lead you as your Savior and Lord from today forward. He'll make himself at home in your life, in your heart, and will engage you in that ongoing relationship as a child of God. I want to just say, you want this. Knowing him, there's... No one and nothing in the universe greater than him, more satisfying, more beautiful, more loving. No one perfect but him. And I want to just say you have no need to be embarrassed about taking this step because many people in this room, many, many around you, myself included, have responded in this way to God's loving offer in his son. And I want to lead you in a prayer. That's a a place you can start is by talking to God. You can pray this with me and recognize you need him. And that's why you do this. And just pray with me. Maybe you want to pray this to give your life to the Lord. Maybe you feel you've strayed and you can pray this similarly. Just say, Jesus... Thank you for coming to reconcile me to God the Father. By dying for me on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins. I acknowledge that I'm guilty of sin and rebellion against you. I need forgiveness. And I thank you that you've promised it and I receive it tonight in Christ. Thank you for the new life you secured for me when you rose from the dead. Jesus, I put my faith in you today and welcome you into my life. to lead me forever and include me in the family of God. Thank you, Father.